people must never lose heart. It's all about focus. It's all about incremental steps. It, uh, you don't have to shoot the lights out day one. Build over a long period of time. And you'll find that you've got very far. I know some people are in a hurry. But uh, incremental is the one that works over the long term. Thanks for clicking play on the number one podcast show for business owners in South Africa. My name is Manus Bredrek and this is season number three of Making SMEs Matter. This season, we'll be chatting to some of South Africa's top entrepreneurs, guys and girls who have built some of South Africa's biggest brands and companies. And if you're building a company of your own or you have dreams of becoming a successful entrepreneur one day, then this podcast show is going to inspire you and bring you valuable lessons that you can use in your own business. I want to give a special thank you to Investec Business Cash Solutions, the team that has helped us bring you this podcast. Make sure you join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. Um, it's so good to be back in studio and recording these podcast episodes, uh, season three. And I promise you this season, we're pulling out all the stops. We're talking to some of the greatest entrepreneurs and I've really enjoyed uh, these discussions. And this episode was no different. Stephen Kossif, the founder of Investec. Well, he wasn't technically a founder. I think he was the eighth employee to join Investec. But he was the leader and the CEO for many years and took Investec from just a small startup uh, to the big company that it is today. Um, I enjoyed the discussion with Stephen. He's just, he's just so down to earth. Say it as it is. At some point, I reminded him about one of the questions that was asked to him, um, how he would like to be remembered. And he said, just, just the boy from Benoni. And I'm telling you, in this discussion, that's exactly who Stephen is. He's just down to earth. The one thing that he reminded me of personally is just that we got to stay patient. Uh, we, we get so impatient in, in, in this game of building a business, but in his journey and his advice is just to stay patient. So that and a lot more coming up in this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, it's Sean Jackson from Investec Business Cash Solutions, proud sponsor of Making SMEs Matter. Our aim is to partner with you in order to understand your business's unique cash flows to grow and maximize the return on your cash. I hope you enjoy this episode filled with valuable insights from our featured entrepreneur. I want you to think about if you're a big fan of Celine Dion and then one day you get to sit down with Celine Dion. That's pretty much how I feel today. My guest is Stephen Kossoff. He's the founder. We need to chat about that title, founder of Investec. Um, had an amazing journey, was a CEO and recently retired. And he's joining me in the Investec offices to chat about his journey. And that's what I want to do, Stephen. Just chat about your journey, where it started, your thoughts, your thoughts on the country, everything that's happening, uh, very casual. And ultimately, we just want to give value to our SME owners. Uh, thank you very much, Manus. And it's great to speak to you. Awesome. So let's chat about that founder, because I know that when you joined, there were eight people here yeah. at Investec, uh, but everyone's seeing you as, as, as a founder. Can we go back in time and can you just explain what happened in those initial years? So I, I, I partnered with what was Investec in 1978. I was in the accounting profession and uh, Investec was a leasing company to finance doctors and accountants. Um, and um, so I had a customer, a client base, a potential client base. So I formed a joint venture on the East Rand and um, that was in 1978. In 1980, something made me write to holiday banks asking them if they're for sale. And uh, I was very friendly with a guy, Larry Nestor, who was one of the first phase founders. Uh, 
And um, he always mind we need a bank, we need a bank because we need to raise deposits because they used to originate uh, loans and then sell them off to other banks. So we're very dependent on selling off to other banks. And one of the one of the banks that I wrote to actually said they 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 for sale. And so uh, I went down with Ian Cantor, who was the original founder, and Larry Nestor, to see this bank um, in May. It was the 17th of May, 1980. And um, we actually won the, the bid. And so I joined full-time on the 15th of July, 1980. How old were you at the time? I would have been uh, 29. 29. Or nearly 29. Okay. So when I chat to entrepreneurs often, I ask them these questions. Yeah. And then I always say, like, you've told this story a million times. And many say, I actually haven't told it many, many times because people don't ask about it. Yeah. Is that the case for you? I think, uh, yeah, I haven't told it many times, but people do ask occasionally. Okay. And uh, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of history. History is always important in life. And to understand where people come from and where businesses come from is also important. So uh, although, as you say, I haven't told it a lot, I have told it a bit. Yeah. And fast forward 30 years later, you're driving in the street, you see massive Investec branding everywhere. You open the newspaper, you're doing super well in the UK. How does it feel being Stephen Kossoff today? Yeah, I don't, I don't really think about it. So, you know, obviously, um, when you look at Investec as to, you know, where it is today compared to where it was when we started out, you know, we we're lending money to doctors and accountants. Um, we we're relying on family and friends for deposits uh, to the Investec that there is today, which has got, you know, probably 3.3 trillion rand of third party funds under management, another in excess of a, another approximate trillion rand of on balance sheet assets. I'm looking at the combined thing from the 3 million rand that we had in um, 1980. You see, you've come a very long way. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've got 10,000 people around the world. We're about to demerge Investec Asset Management. Uh, we are a well-known global brand in our, in, our, in our core niches and we're in multiple geographies. So yeah, you feel proud that um, you've been part of that journey. And in the initial phases, did you ever think that it would get this big? Now I can remember Ian Cantor, our founder, we were walking back because our offices were in um, Anderson Street, 162 Anderson Street, and we used to go to then the Carlton Centre and have meetings, and we were walking back. He loved this place called the Carlton Court, which is the hotel across the road from the Carlton Hotel, and uh, it had a lounge area where he could have coffee. Ian always loved having coffee, and we were walking back, and he said, one day we'll be like Salomon Brothers. So I said, but, you know, Ian, how can we be like Salomon? Now we'll be doing these big ticket deals. And in those days, Salomon Brothers was what Goldman Sachs is today. Mm -hmm. They were the leading investment bank. If you read a book called Liar's Poker um, by Michael Lewis, he started his career. That guy's written lots of books on financial crisis, on all sorts of things. Um, he started his career at Salomon Brothers. And Salomon Brothers eventually got um, fined because they are rigging the U.S. Treasury markets. And the guy, the boss of Salomon Brothers was banned from financial sector for life. But, but in those days when Ian was talking about Salomon Brothers, he was talking about what we would see Goldman Sachs yeah. today. Yeah. And I said, Ian, how can we lending money to doctors? Where do you come from with all this stuff? No, no, we'll be there one day. Okay, so we didn't quite get there, but uh, we, we're better than Salomon Brothers because they don't exist. Yes. But we're not quite where Goldman's are yes. um, because Goldman's obviously are the major... Um, 
what we call investment bank in the world. Yeah. And Stephen, if you look back over this, these 30 years, what do you think is the biggest contributing factor? Do you think it's luck? Do you think it's super hard work? Do you think it's the right people? So I think it's a mixture of all that. I think you can't get somewhere in life without luck. Mm. I think there's seasons when life gets exceptionally tough and uh, you need luck to help you navigate. Uh, I think people is very, very co- important who you, you know, building the right culture and the right value system, having people, because individuals cannot do this on their own. Mm. Um, you know, unless you're a factory and you've invented something, and then, you know, it's all formulaic. Um, but when you're in a people business, Investec is a people yeah. business, then you have to have the right people. And to have the right people, you have to build the right culture and the right value system. Yeah. And, uh, and that enables you to grow and develop because you're not an incumbent. You know, incumbents are maybe a standard bank. They've been around since 1850 or whenever they've been around. You know, they can be more formulaic. Mm. But for an Investec, it's all about people. Mm. So you grew up in Benoni? Right, and were you there on school uh, at school? Yeah, yeah, Benoni? my whole life. Okay, I went. I lived there till the age of forty-two. I used to drive into Anderson Street. Um, and and growing up in school, that you always know that there's something big coming up. We're, no, nothing, we're not a clue. No. Now my father was an accountant, so I thought, okay, well maybe I'll just be an accountant. And um, and you know, I wasn't such a good scholar. I was a bit naughty. I liked sport, um, so. I was lucky I was quite good at maths, but I wasn't good at anything else. And uh, I went into, I started accountancy and all of a sudden I started doing quite well. Mm. Uh, and I was a surprise to all my friends because um, they all, the clever ones all did medicine. The stupid ones did accounting. accounting. Uh, in those days, you know, at a, at a school with 200 kids in matric, maybe 10 of us went to university. It wasn't like today. Uh, That's quite an upgrade. I'm from Harry Smith and the people there who do accounting are the clever ones. and. Yeah, I know. In our day, the doctors were the clever ones. <laughs> They're the ones who got A's in matric. Cool. So uh, we reached out to our WhatsApp community and we asked um, our l- listeners to, to send in questions. And one of the questions that came up often was, in those initial days, um, because I think so many are facing that now, if you started a business two, three years ago, it's tough times out there. And how do you push through and how do you get through? Can you say anything to them about those early days? Was it tough? Yeah, we've been through, well, I've been through five financial crises. So even in latter years, 2008 was exceptionally tough because what you saw was the world was collapsing around you. And that wasn't the first time we saw the world collapsing around us. So, so I mean, you have lots of seasons where life gets exceptionally tough. And I can understand as an entrepreneur, South Africa would be very tough now because the economy's not going in anywhere. You know, there is no growth and you need growth, you know, we always just say, in, a, in you know, there are times when even turkeys can fly, but then you get tough seasons yeah. where you really need to put your head down. You really need to focus on doing what you're good at, looking after your clients, looking after your people, making sure that your service is just better than the guy next to you. Mm-hmm. And and that's what, that's what becomes very important. Obviously, you have to have the wherewithal to sustain yourself, so you always need... Um, a bit of capital and a bit of financial capability, but you can get very far by looking after your clients, by looking after your people, um, building the right culture and the right value system that enables you to build resilience because it is about resilience. There are times when your head has to be down and it's not like fancy and it's not like flying. I just have to, you have to survive. Yeah. And then once you survive, you're always leaner and meaner 
and then you get a wave of support from the market. So there are times, sometimes in life they're headwinds, there's sometimes in life when they're tailwinds. And, uh, but it's when those headwinds are out there that you have to really focus and, and knuckle down. And, so, and, and you don't give up. I always used to say to Ian Cantor in the early days, we need mountain climbing equipment because we're battling and battling to get up to the top of the mountain. But we just need that little bit extra to get us that last step. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you, you've got to have that kind of spirit. And when you get there, just over the edge, you see there's actually another. Yeah, and then there's <laughs> another mountain, but that's fine, okay? And, you know, I've worked uh, for decades with a guy like Bernard Cantor who yes. never saw obstacles, always enthusiastic, always, you know, thinking of big, bigger and better things. And it's important to have that kind of realism with that kind of optimism. I wanted to ask you about, about that because positivity is everything as an entrepreneur, right? You can't be, you can't be negative. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm generally a positive realist. And so I see positive things. So, you know, so some people are, you know, sometimes they're optimistic, sometimes they're pessimistic. They're very volatile. Mm. And then you get those half, half glass, half empty people who are negative. And I, I think someone wrote the other day, and it might have been Adrian Gore, I don't remember, who wrote, you know, optimists generally do better than pessimists. I, I, I'm, I'm not someone wrote that because you don't want to have stupid optimism. You have, want to have realistic mm. optimism, but you have to be positive to actually make progress. If you're always seeing the glass half empty, then you're not taking risk as an entrepreneur. You, you're not going to get anywhere if you're too defensive. You have to take a bit of risk. Mm. You must take calculated risk, but, and you must back yourself. But you have to have a bit of optimism for that. What did a typical day look like um, for you when you were in the trenches here at Investing? No, it's always multitasking. It's always doing m- multiple things at once. But only in, um, in, invested in Investec, no other things? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I was purely focused on Investec. So focus is very important as well. Mm. Um, you get some entrepreneurs every day, they're trying to do something else. Um, but fo- you know what you learn is if you want to be the best in your field or you know right up there with the best, you have to focus. You have to understand what your competitors are doing and say, how am I going to beat my competitors? And you have to be a little bit competitive. Um, you can't just be your also run. So, uh, fo- but you have to focus. If you learn to focus, you can deliver. If you're all over the show, then you never become the best at what you can be. It's definitely been one of my biggest lessons that I've learned in my own career. Like as an entrepreneur, you think you can solve all these many different things, but you can't. You need to focus on one thing and you yeah. need to grow that big. Yeah. And I think it's almost a trend nowadays that entrepreneurs think they, they can start five different startups. Yeah, no, but that's for an investor to, to back five mm. different startups and then hope that you hit, hit some. But, you know, if you in your own business say, what am I good at? How do I focus on building what I'm good at? What am I bad at? How do I supplement what I'm bad at by bringing in other skills that comp- that complement what I'm good at? And sometimes, you know, people think they can do it all on their own. They can't. You need good people with you. How many hours typically did you work in a no, day? Uh, well, when I, I worked when I, from when I woke up to when I went to sleep. Okay. Um, so if, you Let know. Let me ask you, how many hours do you sleep? <laughs> Now, I always target eight hours, but, you know, if I, I don't normally get that. So, But I'm always, you know, today's world, you're on a phone, you're yeah, on an iPad, yeah. you're reading. I'm watch, there was times, you know, when I was always watching the news. Um, now, obviously, you get all the news on these, on these phones. Mm. 
So now I'm more or less, re- you know, every minute of the day, even today, I'm looking at what's going on in the world. Why is this moving? Who's doing that? Who's doing this? So keeping up to speed with what is going on because I, w- I was always in a global business. Sure. And you've exited now as CEO. Um, yeah. And what are you doing nowadays? So um, I'm, I exited as CEO a year ago. I stepped down as an executive on the 8th of August. Uh, so now I'm in what they call the cooler. Um, I've still got certain tasks that I have to do for Investec, which is the demerge of Investec Asset Management and uh, one or two other things. I'm chairman of uh, a public company called Bitcorp. I'm also chairman of Investec's old private equity arm, which they own 45% of. Uh, and then I also am involved in a couple of NGOs. Um, I'm involved in the Youth Employment Service. I'm um, also involved in a in a, a, a group called Innovation Africa, which puts water into villages across Africa, but we started doing them in South Africa. And then uh, also on the, um, we, we run a lot of foundations at Investex. So I'm, uh, I, I chair some of those. Okay, so still working hard. So I'm still quite busy, yeah. Yeah, not playing golf that much. I'm playing a bit, but not in the week. Looking at South Africa, are you positive? I think there's, uh, I think, you know, you go from being positive to negative to being positive. I think there's hope. Uh, I think that uh, the um, government are tasked with, they have to take some very hard decisions, mm. which right now they haven't been taken. Um, they, you know, if you said to me, what would you do? The first thing I go and I have to fix Eskom. Mm. That's my first priority. Mm. And then how do you fix Eskom? Well, you know, the president got very good recommendations from a task team. He needs to implement them, but he's got unions and other members of his party who may be holding him back. Sure. Okay, um, but that is number one. Then you've got these other state-owned enterprises that need to be fixed. Um, but Eskom is the priority. Then you go to SAA. Then you can go to Donnell and SABC, and they 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 mini mouses compared to Eskom. So once you fix Eskom and you do it the right way, which means you're going to need some private capital. Uh, you need to split it up into the different components. You need to open up the grid to renewables and solar on the roof and all that kind of stuff, which most societies that are functioning have done. Then you have to focus on how we're going to grow the economy. And to grow the economy, you need entrepreneurs. To need entrepreneurs, you need to create a business-friendly environment. You can't hamstring these people with red tape and all sorts of stuff. You want them to get up in the morning and be optimistic about what they can do and how they can grow. And that's how you create jobs. So if you go to some societies, so let me go to some of the developed societies. Let's go to a place like Australia. You've got new, more people in their own business that are members of trade unions. And if you went back 35 years, they were, so, they were semi-socialist. Unions had a lot of power. So what you need, what we ultimately need to do is to create a functioning society, obviously long-term education. You know, we have to educate is our people. Is that pe- the starting block for all our problems, education? Well, we, we, we just don't educate our people properly. So you've got, um, you know, you've got what they call the old Model C schools and the private schools, they do a reasonable job. But then you get, you know, the, the township schools and the other schools, the rural schools, they don't have the capability. So we have to fix that as a society. And if we don't fix that, then we're always going to be short of skills. Because funny enough, you think we've got very high unemployment, but we're short 800,000 skills. 
So if you add 800,000 skills, each skill creates five jobs on average. That's four million people less unemployed. You've halved unemployment. So, so these are the challenges for our society. And in, in, in the interim, you know, we're going to have to let the skills in. So then the, um, home affairs don't let the skills in. Because they say, well, why can't you get a South African? Well, I can't find a South African welder. Yeah. I can't find a South African electrical engineer. They all, those that are around are all occupied. So I need to allow these skills in. So those are the challenges for our society, mm-hmm. is they need to allow the skills in. And those skills, you know, raise the level of economic activity. And that's been our challenge. One of our challenges, apart from the fact that um, we've, we lose skills. Yeah. But you're positive. You're not packing your bags to Australia yet? No. You think... No, I'm still, yeah, I'm still trying to make a difference. Make it, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's important that... Um, there, there are a lot of also expats, South Africans, who want to help, who want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. They want to see the country work. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, we, we all have an obligation to help make the country work. Mm-hmm. In many developed world societies, people like myself probably go into um, some kind of quasi semi uh you know government type role you know people go in and out yeah. between the private sector and the public sector so africa doesn't work like that yet mm. because it's still um i hate the word but it's quadra deployment so so you know there's a lot of stuff my generation can do to help sure so uh, you were alluding to it. We, as a company, SME.Africa, we're working with small businesses. And we thought with everything going on, we want to start this campaign and just create 30 jobs in the next 30 days. So we're currently running that campaign. But it's been fascinating to see the response coming in from business owners who all said, like, happy to take part of this, happy to, to employ an intern. I know you're also part of the Yes campaign. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've been so surprised, like hundreds of business owners saying, I, I can create and it was fascinating for me because I think we're always measuring the unemployment rate, but what is the opportunity rate that's actually out there yeah. that we're not filling the gap and how do we bridge that? And by just running this small campaign for, of, uh, of ours, I think we see that if we can make it easier for people to employ, they would actually employ. Um, and there's great initiatives that I think we can run to solve that. What's your thoughts on no, that? But I think, you know, I'm co-chair of the Youth Employment Service. We've created... 21,000 jobs. We're mainly at the moment creating the jobs via, and that's since January, via the um, large corporate sector, um, but not inside the corporate. A lot of them are, like in Investex case, we have 1,200 kids that uh, we sent to hotel school, to artisan school, early childhood development, backing NGOs, prov- paying for the, for the youngsters to get their one-year internship. Um, and so there is a lot that corporates can do but at the end of the day unless we get this down to the small business okay we're not going to be successful so we've been battling a little bit with trade and industry to get the rules right for the small business um, so that it's easy for the small business to get their so-called if I can call it BE certification Mm. then they will take plenty youngsters because it's the best way that they can get level upgrades sure. in and, and and part of this be stuff actually detracts from the creation of employment 
because it's so tough that people just give up. Yeah. Um, well, they don't know even. Yeah, they don't know, and therefore they can't they can't get work because they're not accredited or whatever the case may be. So we have, you know, created a lot of our own problems in our society. But I, what I've seen is there is a strong willingness by the private sector to play a role. Yeah, for sure. In uplifting our society. And when you tell the people what you can do for them and how you can do it through some of these initiatives, they get very, very excited. Mm. Then when the paperwork comes, they want to cry. Yes. So it's how do we take away that paperwork? How do we make it easier for small business? Because that is our key. It's not large. You can see these large banks, they cut in. They got strikes on, yeah. on Friday because of technology. Technology takes away some of those old jobs. And therefore, they don't need to open up branches. They need less branches because, I mean, I haven't walked into a bank branch since Investec created online banking in 1998. Okay, that's 21 years I've not walked into a bank branch, maybe to collect a credit card. Sure. Okay, that's, that's about it. So, so you can understand why some of those jobs are being lost. But there are all sorts of other jobs that are also being created yeah. in today's world. And so, but if you... If, if you don't make it easy for people to start a business, to take risk, to hire, to get a bit of capital, to enable them to start their business, then you lose that opportunity as a society. Sure. So I know um, it's been uh, written all over and I recently finished Raymond Ackerman's um, biography. And he, he's I've still got to read it. It's amazing. It's really yeah. amazing. Um, there, there, are, there are so many fascinating things, but you also wrote about the, the ins how instrumental you were in, in, in breaching the gap between 80s and 90s and, and, the new, and the new era. And I know you were great friends with Nelson Mandela yeah. and advising and or just giving input from the business community. Tell me about your relationship back then uh, with Nelson Mandela and just how business played a part in that. So I, I think, you know, growing up, we were all told this is a terrorist, this is a bad man. And my first interaction with him came when a, uh, um, a group of Jewish businessmen met with him and, uh, and we engaged with him. And, uh, you know, you started seeing this was a very human person um, and a person you could really talk to and could come to grips. He'd already been obviously been released, and it was in that period before he became president. Then, one day, we we just made a we bought Hambro's PLC in London. This is 1998, I think. Okay, and he was still president. And I get a call from Zelda. The president wants to see. I, I think it's a hoax. I get a call from a guy from RMB, used to work at RMB, said to me, Zelda wants to phone you because the president wants to see you. So I thought it's a hoax. Yeah. So I go off to see him because I, I double checked and he was in Houghton, in not the house he ended up in in Houghton, the other house. Um, um, I think 14th and, uh, well, I think Central Avenue or whatever Central Avenue runs into. And, um, and I, and they had Peggy Sue Kamala sitting with him. And he said to me, I want you to send it to university. So I thought, okay, sure. You know, um, you can't, this, what this guy's done for our country, 
You know, you've got to. So we found we got her ultimately a job. I mean, uh, uh, she, he got her position at Manchester University, and then she qualified and she worked for us until the other day when she went mm. to Standard Bank. Um, but she worked for us for about seventeen years post that. But then he used to phone and say, "Took took me to a village with GT Ferreira from Orenby." He said, "Mr. Ferreira, we went. He puts us, takes us in a car on a hill. You must build a school here." And, and uh, you know, you can't say no. And he said, don't worry about the furniture. I'll get it from the Labner brothers. <laughs> then he would take me to a, a hall and he said, these women, 500 of them with blankets, very old traditional people, say, you need to help these women. And you know where the American embassy is? We gave them a stake. We owned that land. We bought that land and we eventually built the um, American embassy and sold it to them. And we gave them a stake in that that group of women. So that's what he used to do. And then you go to find Brian Joffe and say, I want a bus to take the kids <laughs> to school. That's, that's, he was very much in touch yes. with the business community yes. and very engaged with the business community. And no one would say no to him. And that wasn't in, to expect something in return. That was just to help people. Yeah. No, no, nothing, nothing. Just helping uplift society. And, and, and as you found out with your SME thing in the 30 jobs, you know, people were only too excited to play a role and help uplift. And, and that's what he did for us. Apart from obviously navigating South Africa through those, you know, that period, that very difficult period. Yeah. And um, so you were talking about business playing a role in government. Uh, are you still involved, like with the Yes movement? So I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, still on a representative on the CEO initiative, although I'm not a CEO anymore. Um, and I still am co-chair of the Youth Employment Service. And, uh, you know, there's any, we go to them all the time with ideas and stories mm. and uh, say, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And they're quite receptive. Some of the ministers and the president are receptive to yeah. Um, some of us old old timers moaning and groaning and shouting and screaming. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? But uh, I think it's important. It's important that we help government. Yeah. Because uh, because it, it is important that um, you know the system was hollowed out. Mm. If we work out the loss mm. of the past ten years from a GDP perspective, we worked out that if we just grew at our pre-financial crisis growth rate, like most other emerging markets did, you would have had for 2018 1.3 1. billion, 1.2 to 1.4 billion trillion, trillion rand of additional GDP. Tax is 28% of that. Mm-hmm. You would have had almost, you know, between 300 and 400 billion, billion. of additional tax revenue. Uh, the governor, we call the Minister of Finance the governor, Okay, his deficit is about 250 billion. So you wouldn't even had a deficit. Yeah, yeah. And it, it would have been much better than that because you wouldn't have had the debt we had. And so all the money that went lost. And then, then, then now, then there's all the money you got to throw to fix Eskom. That's a few hundred billion. I don't know how, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how much it's going to take, 300 billion, a bit more, to fix Eskom, uh, to fill the hole, to deal with the debt issues mm. and all that kind of stuff. And you got SAA, okay, that's only 20 billion, but it's still a hell of a number. So you add up all these things, it's cost our society a fortune. And we need to actually fix all that. And it's going to take years. 
Stephen, before I get to the listeners' questions, um, what would your advice be to small business owners out there? Uh, you spoke about it. You think it's, they, it's super important. Looking back at your own journey, what's like the one piece of advice that you can give to them or to the Stephen Kossoff who was 29 years old? Is there something that stands out? I, I just think, you know, I come back to the old story is um, when you build your business, you must have generosity of spirit. You must understand that it's not just about you. It's about your people. Unless you're, uh, you've invented something that works on its own. Yeah. So, you know, always remember that in society you live, you don't live off society, you live in it. So you have to play your role. But, you know, when you're starting a small business, you have to focus. You have to focus on your clients. You have to focus on making sure your people are excited about delivering to the client and making sure the client is very satisfied. So that focus on the client, making sure that your product works for the client and that you deliver on your promise. If you want to grow over a long period of time, it's much better, you know, incrementally over a long period of time. The, the f impact of compounding is massive. So if you're growing consistently at 20% per annum, you can't believe where you land up 20 years later. But that's not what the youngsters want today. Yeah, they Stephen. want everything now, but don't yes. work like that in Overnight life. Overnight success. It's Billionaire not by 2020. Don't work. Come on. Doesn't work. Sometimes it works if you're lucky, but for most people it doesn't work. For most people it's a hard grind. If you want to build value, it's over a long period of time. You want immediate success, you're one of the lucky very, very, very few. Uh, <laughs> You, you said an interesting thing. I think we always think about compound interest, right? And how that compounds over time. But what you said now, I never thought of that. Like if you just grow your business like that and compounding. That's it. Got a massive so, business. Yeah. So so I've seen, you know, as I said to you earlier, Investec grow from a balance sheet size, eight people, balance sheet size of three million rand to between on and off balance sheet, 4.3 trillion. So when you go and put that number in the calculator, you, you won't find the compounding rate that high. And it will be, I can do it for you quick. It will be high, but it's not that high. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, it's not like thousands of percent. It's mm. probably, I, I can't work out the number. But if you, know, if you grow by 15% per annum, you're doubling every five years. So if you do that double every five years over... 35 years you know you get to to hell of a big in fact Adrian Gore once said that if you know seven people you end up whole you know knowing almost the whole world because everyone's connected everyone's connected yeah um, so I, I don't know how he worked it out but that's what he mm. said the impact mm. of compounding mm. seven to the power of seven takes you to some hell of a number um, but um so compounding, doing, being successful over a long period of time as opposed to just having short success yeah. is mu much better. Yeah, and I think it's a big problem in nowadays. Yeah. Um, so Stephen, we reached out. We've got our listeners on WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, yeah. We reached out. We said we're going to meet with you. They've, they had a lot of questions for sure. you. So I want to work through a couple of them. Um, and just testament to, to the name that you've built and the, and the reputation. Sure. We had so many. We had hundreds of questions. So I just want to go through a couple of them. Um, the most uh, defining moment of your career was a one that stood out. And, and that's and coming from Dylan. 
Yeah, no, not 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 really. I think we've had um, lots of different moments. Uh, I think the one where I got quite emotional was when we first got permission to list in London after battling with Trevor Manuel for four years when he was Minister of Finance to get the permission. Um, uh, I've got no I've got no single moment. I think you have lots of good experiences and hopefully some you always have some bad experiences. Mm. Um, um, obviously, you know, the relationship with someone like Madeba, I think uh, taking us to the villages, um, I went on his plane because he said, you come with me on my plane. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that would have been a very defining moment for me, having a relationship with someone like that who was very transforming sure. for our society. Um, but any specific apart from that, no, it's hard. And what about the flip side to that, the earliest thing that you did terribly wrong? Uh, lots of things wrong. I can't remember the earliest thing. But uh, uh, my first deal, I took to credit in the early days, and they declined. I still don't know why they declined. I don't think the clients were that bad. But I, I, I lots of things wrong. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, early on I had a, ca a, a situation where someone um, defaulted, and I learned a lot from that. We were, made it, we were about to make a loan. Our guys didn't sign the documentation up. And then the guy took the car and he drove to Durban and he had a crash. And the car was written off and we never, he never had insurance and our documents weren't signed. Sure. So you learn lessons. Yeah. You know, get your documents signed. Make sure that your admin is good. Mm. Admin, for all these startup entrepreneurs, admin. get your admin right. <laughs> and don't run ahead and leave a trail of rubbish behind you. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you on that. So it happens to us all the time. I'm sure it still happens to you. You've got a horrible day. Something really bad happens. Is there anything practical that you do? Do you take time off? Do you go walk around the block? Yeah, I might walk around a bit. Yeah. I normally shout. To yourself? No, I shout. <laughs> to other people? Just shout. Just shout. <laughs> what you shouting about? I'm just shouting. <laughs> but uh, you've got you. Yeah, you've got Any to. good advice that you've got? Now again, you've got to, you know, sometimes you just got to count to 10 and say, okay, mm. it's a bad day. You've got to be mature about it. Things are going badly. Everything's falling apart. And you, you need to calm down. That's the key thing. Just calm down. Because when you're calm, you can think. Mm. When you're not calm, so even once you finish shouting, you calm down. Yeah, I lived through 2008. It was a financial crisis where, you know, we had a, bank in the UK, seven out of the top 10 banks in the UK were broke, including the biggest, and had to be bailed out. Mm. And we were standing alone as a, you know, a South African company without anyone to go to. So, you know, we survived those kind of things, mm. and it's just by staying calm yeah. and doing the right thing. Mm. So but in the moment, it's terrible. Yeah, well, but that's life. Yeah. You know, there's... Uh, but you, that's where you've got you to go quiet and think. Sure. You mustn't do any radical. Yeah. Don't make decisions. Sometimes you have to because you're in a hole and you have to climb out. So the key thing is when you're in a hole, you climb out. You don't keep digging. Mm. Yeah, so valuable. So Medice asks, uh, what sort of personal motivation do you have uh, to build such a huge company? Anything that motivated you? You don't think about building something big. You think about the incremental. Excellent. How am I going to beat my competitors? How am I going to, you know, it's about how am I going to get there? I don't have to get over the cliff. 
It's step by step. Mm. It's incremental. That's a, I'm a big believer in that. When you do transforming things, often they get you into trouble. You take a lot of risk when you do transforming things. Mm. It's like trying to jump over a ravine. You think you can jump it, but you can't. And there's a big chance you may make it. Or you may not. But you may fall down the hole. So you don't take those risks. You don't bet the farm on a single transaction. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, it's coming from Steve Fenter. He said, how do you deal with diversity in the workforce? Because uh, people are from different cultures, religions, and corporates don't often get it right. So that's your value system. You look at the people. You look at, you know, not where they come from, but how they relate to other people and how they work and their output. And everyone's different. So if you're trying to put people into boxes and say, you X, you come, you this religion, you this color, you got trouble. Mm. So you've got to try and build a common culture that supports well, people, puts people at the center, as opposed to where you're from at the center. Mm. And you get very talented people from very different places, and diversity does bring a different dimension. But you have to build a organizational culture it's got nothing to do with where people come from. It's got to do with the organization. Sure. And an egalitarian type society like Investec, what we always had, anyone can talk to anybody. Don't have your own parking bay. You don't have a desk, an office, you have a desk. Mm. Okay, you're not differentiated by, because you, you may earn more as a CEO, but on the rest of the stuff, same dining room, same everything. Don't create a we and them, the, uh, we and they. Uh, this is interesting from Theo, and I'd like to get your input on it. It says, uh, do you think that you would be able to build Investec again starting today, um, considering the climate and the amount of legislation and regulation that exists? Yeah, look, I think it will be tougher because you're in a much more, we're always in a regular, as a bank, you know, almost in a regulated environment. So it was always a layer of regulation. Um, uh, today, it's probably a lot more complex, but I do think you can still build organizations. Um, you know, look, if, you, if I, I think about a Capitec, look where they've come from mm. uh, in the last, I don't know how many years, probably 15 years. Um, Discovery also started not that long ago, maybe 25 years ago. So you have seen great organ. I mean, I was talking to someone earlier about Apple. You know, Apple in 2001 was almost broke. Yes. Okay, in 2006 it launched the iPhone. You don't, you know, you don't realize the iPad only came in 2010. Couple you don't realize years. that those things are so young. Mm -hmm. Look at it's. A, I looked at its market capitalization today, 986 billion dollars. Its share price is up by 150 odd times in since 2001. Yeah, they were nearly gone. Yeah, so the most valuable company at the time, more yeah. than a trillion at a time. Yeah. yeah, so you know you can you can you can do these things. Mm. Um, and one of the last ones coming from Derek, I also think is very interesting. Um, do you think there's a place for a truly 100% digital bank in South Africa, uh, or is there still a need for physical branch branches? So Investec is pretty much 100%. Yeah, Investec never had branches. We had offices um, in, at one stage only in probably Joburg, Cape Town, um, and Durban. And now I don't know how many places they've got, maybe eight offices around 
around there may be nine, eight to nine offices around the country in different places. So we've never been a bank with branches. And we've been always, as I said, in our, our, since they launched online banking in 1998, um, where they started becoming a primary banker to an individual, um, you know, I've never walked into a bank. Mm. Now, okay, it's targeted at the upper end of the market. So, you know, um, I think you're seeing a launch of a number of different digital banks which won't have, probably won't have branches at all. Um, and they're getting on a lot of clients because, you know, people, as digital phones become more accessible to, to everyone, so you're going to get a lot more. So, yeah, I, I don't, I think there can be. Mm. I don't think you physically need branches. Um, for some people, you want branches, for other people not. Mm. Um, I, I was talking like from Capitec, they're still rolling out more branches. Uh, so, and branches today in banking are more like sales offices, a place to go and, 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 and talk, talk to your bank or talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched an interview and it said, um, they asked you, Stephen, how would you like to be remembered? And you know what the answer was? Yeah. Said, oh, I just want to be Stephen from Benoni. Oh, that's what I am. <laughs> You've had such an incredible career. Um, but you're going back to the roots and you... you, well, you always must go and know where you come back, where, mm. where you come from in life. Uh, and then you know just remember it's always important to understand where you came from because you may get sent back there one day you yeah. never know and you're super grateful when you look back at the journey yeah i think you know i've been very lucky i've had um good partners i worked with bernard Cantor for uh we, we ian put us in charge in about 1988 um of investex for over 30 years or almost 30 years because we, we both stepped down from our positions in September, a year ago almost. Um, so, yeah, um, I've had a guy like Lynn Berger, who we hired in twenty in, in 1980. Uh, and, we was, and he was the guy swept and made sure that we kept us tidy because we would run ahead and do the client deals and he would admin them. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, we've got lo- lots of people that we worked together with over, over decades. Mm. So it's been, you know, very, uh, it has been a great journey. Amazing. So, Stephen, I'm a client of, of Investec. Um, I've always had an amazing journey. Um, working with Sean and Natalie and, and the team here as partners and as our client has been amazing. What you've built here and thousands of people, I think the brand is incredible. What you're doing in the UK is incredible. So well done on that. I think many entrepreneurs and many of our small business owners will look up to you and just wish that they can have 5% of that success. But this talk was, or this chat was so cool because I think what I'm taking out of it is just to work on those small percentages and work on that 5% and then you'll end up with something amazing. But well done and congratulations. Thanks very much and it's great talking to you. Thank you so much, Stephen. And I think, you know, people must never lose heart. It's all about focus. It's all about incremental steps. It, uh, you don't have to shoot the lights out day one. Build over a long period of time. And you'll find that you've got very far. I know some people are hurry. Yeah. But uh, incremental is the one that works over the long term. Super valuable. Thank you Thank so you. much, Stephen Costa. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that it's valuable in your own journey. Do connect with us and remember to join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. 
And if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, do it now. And if you haven't rated it yet, what? You haven't rated it? Also do it now. My name is Madness. See you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you're a business owner with cash sitting in a call, notice, fixed deposit, or money market account, SMS the word cash to 47677 or visit investec.com forward slash SME Africa. Someone from our team will call you back and discuss how we can help you grow and maximize the return on your cash.